Well, good morning, Redeemer Church of Dubai. Uh, my name is Aubrey Siquera, and I pastor in Abu Dhabi at the Evangelical Community Church. Of course, I'm very good friends with several of your elders and very thankful for God's grace in your midst and the work of God at your church. Uh, so I feel very privileged to be able to share God's word with you this morning, um, though it's not face-to-face -face as I would prefer. But even over this medium, we recognize God's word is powerful to accomplish all its purpose. Uh, so before we uh, look at Acts 12, let's uh, take a moment to pray if you would join me. Heavenly Father, we praise and we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that you are sovereign, ruling and reigning and accomplishing all your purposes for the advance of your kingdom. Help us this morning to see our Lord Jesus Christ through this text. In his name we pray, amen. Have you ever felt perplexed at the ways of God? Maybe been through a time or season in your life where you've looked at the mysterious ways that God works and have wondered, why, Lord? Why did it have to be this way? I know the year 2020 has been a season like that for many of us. As this pandemic has continued, it's felt like a major setback in the advance of God's kingdom and in the life of our churches. I remember a season like this uh, in my own life several years ago as I was uh, serving in a church in the United States and a faithful and godly brother in our church uh, was found to have brain cancer. Uh, he had been saved, the Lord had saved him from a life of radical sin and he was married with three children him and his wife were in the process of adopting a fourth and then he was found to have this tumor in his brain and the Lord uh, took his life by the end of the year uh, he went home to be with the Lord and this was a major tragedy and a setback in our congregation well fast forward to a couple of years later and another dear person, this time a woman, a sister, was also found to have brain cancer. Well, she and her husband had been serving the Lord faithfully overseas in one of the least reached nations in the world. And they came back on furlough to the United States and that's when she was diagnosed with brain cancer. And again, it was just perplexing, but in the gracious providence and mercy of God, her cancer did not advance significantly. In fact, she began to get better. And uh, the, her medical condition even opened the door uh, for her and her husband to acquire visas into a very restricted nation. Uh, they acquired visas uh, for medical care and they moved again overseas and now, five years later, a church is being planted in this nation. And, and she's still in health and walking with the Lord. Praise God for the way his mission has advanced. God's ways can sometimes be puzzling to us. His sovereignty should cause us to humbly hope in him. 
We see something similar in our text this morning in Acts chapter 12. We see a major setback, and then we see a major advance. And this text reveals to us God's sovereign control over all things. It reminds us that he will ensure the advance of his mission, no matter what. We reach kind of a midpoint here in the book of Acts with Acts chapter 12. Uh, the author, Luke, takes us on a final trip to Jerusalem, uh, to the church in Jerusalem, before he focuses the rest of the story mainly on the advance of the gospel in the Gentile world. And what we'll see in Acts chapter 12 is that the risen Christ is indeed on his throne and that his mission will continue to go forward. The word of God will advance despite any setbacks. And brothers and sisters, as, as we look at this text, I hope that we would feel great hope in the majesty and the power of our sovereign God, so that in desperate times, despite whatever setbacks come our way, that we would trust the Lord to ensure the advance of his kingdom and the fulfillment of his mission. Our text this morning will unfold in three scenes, and in each scene, we'll see God's sovereign power displayed. So scene one, let's pick it up in Acts chapter 12, verses one to five. And the theme of this scene is that the Lord is sovereign over desperate times. The Lord is sovereign over desperate times. Reading from verse one. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread, and when he had seized him and put him in he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So the passage begins, the scene begins with Herod. And if you've been reading the New Testament, you know that anytime you see Herod in the Bible, it means bad news. Well, this is a different Herod. Uh, this is not the crazed king uh, whom we see in the Gospels, uh, whom we think of at Christmas time, who ordered the slaughter of the infants in Bethlehem. This is not that Herod. Nor is this the Herod who uh, had John the Baptist beheaded and who uh, was, you know, involved in Jesus's trial and execution. No, this is a different Herod. But just like the Herods before him, he's wicked, he's crazy. He's bloodthirsty and he's vain. He claims to be the king of the Jews. And while the church is proclaiming Jesus to be the king of the Jews and really the king of heaven and earth, Herod claims to be the king of the Jews. And so he feels threatened by the church's proclamation and he begins attacking the servants of King Jesus. Verse 2 tells us he killed James, 
the brother of John with the sword. You know, for several years, my wife and I lived in Kentucky, which is uh, part of what they call tornado country in the United States. And uh, we were used to, uh, you know, particular seasons of the year when uh, we would hear these alarms and the tornado sirens going off and we'd all huddle to this shelter underground uh, to be safe just in case tornado hit. I remember one such tornado hit the town uh, right, right next to us and in a few minutes caused immense, immense wide-scale destruction and devastation. Some texts in the Bible are like tornadoes, just short texts, but massive when you read them. That's, that's what this verse is like here in Acts chapter 12. He put James, the brother of John, to death with the sword. You know, just seven words in the Greek original. No explanation, no background, probably about 10 words in, in your English Bible. James is put to death. And, and th this, is, this is James who was an apostle. James, the brother of John, one of the top three apostles, if you're familiar with the, the gospel accounts, this, this, was, this James was part of Jesus's inner circle. He was the one who went up to the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus when Jesus was revealed in, in glory. An apostle of Jesus Christ here killed with the sword, which probably means he was beheaded just like that, gone. And with this action, Herod is showing that he now officially considers Christianity, Christianity an enemy of the state. The king has declared the church to be his enemy. And of course, it greatly pleases the Jews. Up to this point, they've tried hard uh, to suppress the Christian movement. They've brought persecution of various kinds and they failed, but now they have support from higher up. James is put to death. Let's just think about that for a moment. Imagine the impact on this church in Jerusalem. Imagine the shockwaves that would have been sent through their community. Think about how his, his friends, his close friends would have felt. Think about how his brother John would have felt. This would have absolutely crushed their hearts. I mean, just imagine for a moment what you would feel like if just one person in your church, one member of your church, was put to death for believing in Christ. Imagine more so if how you would feel if one of the elders of your church was put to death for their faith in Jesus. This was shocking to the church. And you know what we've seen before in, in the book of Acts, we've seen God deliver Peter and James and John, the apostles from the authorities. But here in Acts chapter 12, God does not intervene, at least not at first. 
You know, the Lord does not promise us that the Christian life will be all roses and blessings. As some people teach, if you, if you just have enough faith, if you just stay faithful, God will deliver you from whatever harm might come your way. Well, that's not true. And, and we see that it wasn't true here in the life of James. Despite James's faith, despite his faithfulness, despite the faith and the faithfulness of his church, James gets killed with the sword at the whims of a bloodthirsty tyrant. But we dare not say that God is not in control. In fact, James's death fulfills a prophecy made to him by the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 10, verse 39. Jesus said to them, to James and John, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. You see, brothers and sisters, this was part of God's plan, that James would experience martyrdom, that he would die and share in the sufferings of Christ. He would die just like his Savior. And we also see here, brothers and sisters, that even in the midst of suffering and evil, our God is at work fulfilling his plans. The work of God is always marked by great mystery, and we can't always understand it all. Sometimes God moves in mysterious ways that we don't understand. Sometimes we see wonderful, faithful servants of God taken from this world in ways that feel so shocking and, and quick to us. I think of just this past week, I heard of a, a faithful pastor, uh, someone who went to my seminary, who was faithfully serving and preaching Christ, lost his life, was, was hit on the highway while trying to help somebody uh, whose, whose vehicle had broken down. Sometimes we hope for blessings and instead we receive suffering. Sometimes the righteous suffer while the wicked prosper. And, and that's what it seems like here in this text, doesn't it? In Acts chapter 12, James is righteous and James dies. Brothers and sisters, we face tribulation in this world. You know, while, while the church in some parts of the world, like here in the UAE, we've been blessed, we experience great favor from the government and freedom to worship. But the church in other parts of the world, your brothers and sisters in Christ, face constant heat and persecution. And yet, God is in control and sovereign over it all. You know, our faith and our relationship with God are not like some kind of check that you just go to the bank and get it cashed out. No, God has his own plans, his own mysterious ways, and we don't always know why he does what he does. We aren't always given easy answers. His working, his providence is inscrutable. And all we can do is humbly bow before his majesty and wisdom. We can't predict the future. And, and if anything, this year, 2020, should 
tell us that. I remember, you know, I always this always amuses me uh, at the at the turn of each year on New Year's Eve. You know, you get all these WhatsApp messages, crazy WhatsApp messages. Yeah, you know, 2019 was filled with sorrow. 2020 will be filled with happiness. 2019 was filled with suffering. 2020 is your year of breakthrough and your year for blessings. Well, <laughs> 2020 has shattered all, all those uh, uh, fantasies, hasn't it? It's been a year of uh, an unspeakable shakeup that most of us have never uh, could have never imagined would have come our way. No, for the year 2020 and for every year, let me tell you what Jesus has promised us as his people, brothers and sisters. He's promised us trials. He's promised us suffering. He's promised us tribulation, John 16, 33. In this world, you will have tribulation. Romans 8, 17, we are heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. And yet in the midst of all our trials, in the midst of our desperate times, we know that our God is seated on the throne and therefore we can cry out to him in prayer. And that's what the church does here. That's what the church does in Acts 12. You know, you, you continue to see what happens here, verses 3 and 4. After James has been put to death, uh, Herod sees this pleases the Jews. He's excited at how his actions are helping his political ambitions. So what does he do? Uh, in verse 3, it says he proceeded to arrest Peter also. He throws Peter into prison. But what have we seen previously in Acts? We've seen that the apostles were thrown into prison and an angel let them out. So Herod's probably heard of this as well. And, and so he tries to be on the safe side. He, he's going to take extra measures for security here. He puts four squads of guards to guard the prison. 16 guards just to guard this one man, Peter. And the plan is to bring him out just after the Passover, of course, for execution. So imagine now how the church in Jerusalem is feeling. One of the key apostles, James, has just been beheaded. Their other key leader, Peter, is in prison, guarded by Herod's squad and awaiting execution. The situation looks bleak. It feels desperate. It feels almost hopeless. What can this ragtag community of believers do against mighty King Herod and his army? What do they do? Look at verse 5. Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now the word that Luke uses here to describe their prayer earnest. Uh, he's only used that in one other place, actually in his gospel, to describe the fervency and the earnestness of Jesus's prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. The church is facing desperate times, and they know that God is sovereign over these desperate times, so they respond with desperate prayer to their sovereign God. 
Oh, that we would pray with such desperation and with such earnestness. They knew God's sovereignty and they knew his power. And this drove them to desperately call out to the sovereign Lord. Brothers and sisters, do we realize that our God, the Lord Jesus Christ, is sovereign and in control? That the hearts of kings and emperors and rulers and authorities are in his hand? Do we realize that even this entire pandemic, this is all in his control and part of his plan? That our days and times, our trials and all things are in his hands? So I want to ask you, are we a people, are you a people, Redeemer Church of Dubai, marked by prayer? Do we pray desperate prayers in desperate times to our sovereign God? Are we desperate to see his kingdom advance and his gospel go forth? You know, prayer is not just for some special group of uh, Christians who are called prayer warriors. No, prayer is for all of God's people, for all of us as a church, we are called to cry out to God. Oh, that the sovereign Lord would grant us to be pierced in our hearts with repentance for our lack of prayer. Now, maybe this year, 2020, is, is a kindness from him, bringing us into desperate situations so that we would learn to cry out to him more desperately. So the church responds to their desperate times with desperate prayer, showing us that God is sovereign even over desperate times. And this brings us to scene two of our narrative, scene two of this story. The Lord is sovereign over desperate times and here we'll see that the Lord is sovereign over dramatic deliverances. The Lord is sovereign over deliverances. We'll look at verses 6 to 19. You know, one of the, uh, one of the uh, traits of a master writer, a master storyteller, is being able to weave different scenes of a narrative together. And Luke does this beautifully here. In the midst of a tense and desperate story when everything seems to be going wrong, he not only tells us the story of Peter's miraculous rescue, he also highlights for all of us the humor in this story. So we'll see a lot of humor here in God's dramatic rescue of Peter. Verses 6 to 19. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. So this is extra security, extra measures. Right? Peter is sleeping between two soldiers. Just try to picture this scene. He's sleeping between two soldiers. He's bound with two chains. There are sentries stationed before the door guarding the prison. There are 16 guards in all is what we saw. And behold, verse 7, behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. 
he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. So Peter is asleep. He is so fast asleep that the angel that appears to him has to strike him to wake him up. So there's an angel in the cell. There's this bright light, and Peter is still snoring. And then the angel, you know, has to shake him up. It, it's, it's sometimes it's, it's like how I sleep sometimes. You know, my, my wife has to shake me up. Aubrey, wake up. <laughs> and the angel shakes Peter up, wakes him, and says, come on, quickly. And Peter gets up, and the chains just fall off. And then the angel said to him, dress yourself. Put on your sandals. Come on, Peter, get ready. Let's just get out of here. And he did so. Verse 8, and he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Peter has been woken up miraculously by this angel, and he's kind of in this groggy place. He hasn't had his coffee. Uh, you know you know how it is when you don't have your morning coffee. I'm a coffee person can't do anything. You don't know the difference between being asleep and, and being awake. You're in this strange place between sleep and waking up. And Peter is, is walking out groggily. He doesn't know if this is a dream or if this is real. He doesn't know what's happening. But it's happening. In verse 10, when they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. So here's a big iron gate. What happens? It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. And Peter is still groggy, and now he comes to his senses. Verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord, Je Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Well, Peter, you finally figured it out. So Peter realizes what's happened. Verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, and where many were gathered together and were praying. So the church has a congregational prayer meeting happening at this house. And Peter now, in answer to their prayers, has been miraculously delivered, and he arrives at the prayer meeting. Well, what happens there? Verse 13, when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. So a little servant girl, you know, steps out quietly in the middle of the prayer to go see who's at the door. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, what does she do? Come on in, Peter! No, in her joy, she leaves him standing there. She did not open the gate, verse 14, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. Imagine her excitement. She's running upstairs right in the middle of the prayer, bursts into the room, is like, ah, Peter is here! How do the members of the church, how, how do these, the people who are praying respond? Verse 15, they said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. Now, don't ask me what that means, his angel. I, it, it, you know, could, could be said that this is a messenger from Peter, or uh, some people say this could be you know, a guardian angel that for some reason they thought resembled Peter. But the point is, they're praying for Peter to be released. 
God has just miraculously answered their prayer and Peter is standing at the door and, and the servant girl is excited about it, but the people making the prayer don't believe that it's true. The angel brought him out of prison and the, the iron gate was opened, but here he is standing locked out at the door of the prayer meeting. Verse 16, Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were not surprised because they knew that God would answer their prayer. No, that's not what it says. It says, they were amazed, but motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James, it's a different James, and to the brothers, then he departed and went to another place. He probably went into hiding. We're not told where he went. Verse 18. Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had, had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. God answered the prayers of his church. Sometimes God answers no, like he did with James. But sometimes he answers yes. And here we see a miraculous yes. In fact, it was so miraculous and so dramatic that the people praying didn't even believe that it had been answered. They were totally astonished. They were not even expecting this. They couldn't believe it. You know, there's a false teaching that's very common today. The health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that says... Well, if you just have enough faith, if you just believe that God is going to do it, God will answer your prayers and he'll bless you with good health and, and financial blessing and success in life. You know, there are churches in this region that teach this doctrine. There are false teachers on TV and on social media who teach that doctrine. But Acts chapter 12 shows us that it's a totally false doctrine. The church is praying in desperation, but their faith is weak. We don't even know. Maybe they were praying that God would give Peter the strength to face death. Maybe they were praying for his rescue, but they were praying feeble prayers. They're uncertain of the result. And this is a lesson for us, brothers and sisters. Our confidence is not ultimately in the strength of our prayers. Our confidence is not even ultimately in the strength of our faith. No, our confidence is in the strength and power of our God, of our sovereign Lord. We put confidence in our loving Father, to whom we can come with all our anxieties and weaknesses and fears and we cast ourselves upon his fatherly care. 
Our confidence is in our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, who was crucified for our sins and is raised from the dead and is seated at the Father's right hand where he always intercedes for us. Our confidence is in the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, who empowers us and enables us to pray, and he helps us in our weakness even when we don't know how to pray by interceding for us according to the will of God. Brothers and sisters, ultimately for our deliverance and in every setback, we pray in hope in our sovereign God who rules heaven and earth, who works out all things according to his plan. And as Paul says in Ephesians, he is able to do, he does exceedingly and abundantly more than we can ask or even imagine. And the God who released Peter from prison, who caused light to shine in the prison and the chains to fall off, is still at work in the world today, breaking the chains of captivity to sin and death and darkness and setting people free through the preaching of his gospel. So let's cry out to him to work miracles of bringing people to know him of gospel advance through his church. Let's cry out to him to bring this pandemic to an end, but even in the midst of COVID-19, to grow us, his people in holiness, to revive his church, and to draw many people to saving faith in Jesus Christ, even through this strange season. So Herod has a plan to kill Peter, and God dismantles his plan. King Herod attacks the servants of King Jesus. The servants of King Jesus cry out to their king in desperation, and the true king acts and destroys Herod's plans. You know, the conflict between the kingdom of Christ and the powers of darkness is not a conflict between two equal and opposite forces. It's a conflict between one kingdom that rules and reigns over all and the kingdoms of this world that ultimately fail. We're about to see that in the next turn of the story as we go to scene three. Scene one taught us that the Lord is sovereign over desperate times. Scene two, we saw that the Lord is sovereign over deliverances. And in scene three, we see that the Lord is sovereign over damnation. Look at verses 20 to 24. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased 
and multiplied. King Herod tried to oppose the true king and his people. He put one apostle to death and he imprisoned another with a similar plan. But did you notice what his fundamental sin was? What is his fundamental sin here for which he is judged? He failed to give glory to God. Herod was consumed with himself. You know, uh, other sources, historical sources concerning this incident tell us that when he came out to speak to the people, his clothes were shining like the sun. And the people began to adore him here as a god. And Herod glories in this. But God strikes him down. And, and that should be a note to all of us. You see, we've all failed to give glory to God. That's the fundamental human sin. That's our sin. All of us are as guilty as Herod in not giving God the glory that he deserves with our lives. You know, we may not have accepted worship or claimed to be a God like, like Herod did, but we have all robbed God of his glory one way or another by treasuring our sin above him. In our pride, in our lust, in our selfishness, our greed, our ambition, in our sinfulness, we fail to give glory to God. And maybe you're watching this morning and your life is not marked by the knowledge of God. You have no room for the one true God in your life. In fact, your life is all about you. You live like you're your own God. Well, if that's you, I want to warn you that Herod's fate here in Acts chapter 12 is just a preview of a greater judgment to come. When everyone who has failed to give glory to God, to give God the glory that he deserves, will suffer the terrifying judgment and wrath of God. And that judgment will be so fierce that we would much rather be eaten by worms. But today, there's an opportunity to be rescued, to be delivered from that damnation. Because you see, the same sovereign Lord who judged Herod sent his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who faced a far greater judgment than Herod did to rescue sinners like you and me. The Lord Jesus, God the Son, took on flesh and was crucified, nailed to a cross as a substitute, taking upon himself the judgment and wrath of God for sinners, so that whoever would repent of their sin and trust in him would be delivered from the penalty of sin. And through his death and resurrection, we receive the forgiveness of our sins and a new life in which we have the power to live for God's glory. So if you're watching this morning, I want to plead with you and invite you to come to Jesus. Come and put your faith in him. Turn away from your sin and find joy and peace 
in knowing and trusting Jesus Christ, who is worthy of all glory and who is worthy of our worship. And to my brothers and sisters who are watching this, I want to say we would do well to remember and marvel at God's mercy to us. That we were not eaten by worms or plunged into hell for the many times that we have failed to glorify him, for the many years that we resisted him in the stubbornness of our hearts, but that the Son of God took upon himself the judgment that we deserve, and the Lord called us to himself and has loved us and shown us mercy despite our rebellion. So we stand in awe of God's mysterious grace. We behold both the severity and the kindness and mercy of God. The same God who judged one opponent of the church, Herod, is the one who showed mercy and saved another opponent of the church, Paul. And he's the same God who has shown us mercy and has saved us. What a mighty, sovereign and merciful God. So as one teacher put it, the chapter starts with James dead, Peter in prison, and Herod triumphing. The chapter closes with Herod dead, Peter free, and the word of God triumphing. Is that the summary verse of this chapter? And in fact, verse 24 is the summary verse of the entire book of Acts to this point. God's word increases and multiplies. God's word advances against all odds. Brothers and sisters, COVID-19 cannot stop the advance of God's word in the world. It will increase and multiply, and God will give us the victory. Maybe you've heard the story of Adoniram and Ann Judson. They were the first international missionaries to be sent out from the United States. Uh, they served in Burma, and even as they served the Lord there, they faced great trials and tragedies. Uh, they lost three children to illness, Adoniram was imprisoned by the authorities, presuming that he was an American spy, and the conditions of his imprisonment were unspeakable. No food, no sanitation, overcrowded, and his wife Anne uh, took the translation of the New Testament that he was working on into the Burmese language, and she hid it underground in a garden in order to preserve it so that it wouldn't be confiscated and destroyed by the authorities. Uh, she visited her husband in prison and encouraged him not to give up, telling him, God will give us the victory. When Adoniram was eventually released from prison, he lost his wife, Anne, his beloved wife, to illness. He lost their third child, Maria, and he began to lose his mind. He went off into the jungles, deep into the jungles of Burma, 
living in isolation, often digging his own grave and lying in it, hoping for death. And then news was brought to him that his brother back in America had died, but had received Christ right before his death. And the lights came on for Adoniram Judson. He went back to his work laboring to finish his translation of the Bible into Burmese. And towards the end of his life, Judson would say, the gospel of Jesus Christ will pervade the whole world. God will give us the victory. Some years ago, while I was still in seminary, I was walking uh, in my seminary campus and I came across a, a short man. Uh, he looked Asian to me and you know, I'm from India. So I approached him, went to talk with him and I uh, asked him what his name was. He said his name is Lampi. I asked him, where is he from? And he said he's from Myanmar. And I said, uh, oh, you know, I, I'm reading the biography of Adoniram Judson. Have you ever heard of him? And he said, of course, I've heard of Judson. Uh, we still use his translation of the Bible into Burmese. Judson is gone. He's with the Lord. But the Bible that he translated that once lay buried is increasing and multiplying. Brothers and sisters, God is sovereign and he will ensure that he is worshipped by those whom he will call to himself from every tribe and tongue and nation. And nothing will impede the progress of his gospel and the advance of his kingdom. God will give us the victory. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is invincible and that it will increase and multiply no matter what. Help us to believe this in these strange times and to continue to engage in the work of the gospel with hope and with confidence. In Jesus' name, amen.